You know what's not keeping me up awake at night? What's is that? that I've reduced the amount of my coffee intake. You said that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was talking to my wife about that and going back to the whole extra thing. I was like, you know, I feel like I'm, well, I'm... You're always experimenting with something. Though. I do. I like you to do. experiment. Yeah, yeah. Know, I'm trying to be calmer by drinking less coffee. And mm-hmm. she's like, it's not working. <laughs> And that's what she Amanda. Told me. And the, I think you're right. And that's when she told me again that I was extra. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. My name is Jim Carr, and I'm your co-host with my postulative co-host Jason Zanger. What does that mean, postulative? Does that mean I, I make statements? Yes. Can you define postulative? No, you defined it in a previous episode and I liked it so much I put it in this. But you now you're using it in a descriptive form. Well, that it, you know, I, th- I thought it did describe you well. I guess it kind of does. Yes. I don't mind being postulative. Yes. It was a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I'm described by as other things that are yes. you know far worse, a lot worse. Like when my wife calls me extra, which I know I've said on the show before, it always makes you laugh. Yes, <laughs> I kind of agree with Amanda for sure. Anyway, Jason, before we get into the episode, you know, it's no secret I've been immersed in this industry for decades, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows the metalworking nation knows I've been around for a while. I've been running the shop floor. I've been running machines, uh, and you know, I played an intricate role in car machine and tool for a long time. And I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So I was chatting with John, my sales manager, the other day about this paradigm shift that's happening in our industry, particularly how so many longtime skilled machinists are retiring. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it all over the place, yeah. right? And quitters. They're quitters. They're out of here. I know. They're going to come begging back for a job. Who knows? It's good to be useful for the rest of your life. I think so too, but you know, some people don't agree with that. But more importantly, as these long-term skilled machinists are leaving, they're taking with them a lot of intellectual legacy knowledge that I don't necessarily know we can ever replace. And that's what I kind of want to talk about today because I'm seeing this paradigm shift and I'm concerned that the procurement people, the people that are sourcing machined parts don't really know what any of these processes and procedures look like. They don't even know the difference between a fabricated part and a turn part and a machine part or five axis part, right? So I just want to have a little conversation about what I'm seeing. If you're seeing the same thing, I may not affect you like it does me, but what can we do as owners of companies to kind of mitigate this problem or offer some suggestions? Yeah, I mean, immediately when you say that, it makes me think about the role of the buyer in the process. And I think, you know, it could have good effects and bad effects. And so like, from my perspective, I think about it this way. Okay, so on the good side, your clients, if they've got your part number hard-coded in their system, they're just going to hit print and they're going to send you a PO and know that you have that IP and that you're going to continue to make the parts like you always have and you're going to do a great job and you're going to ship it and then they're going to be good to go. But then on the other hand, what if they don't have that information and you're used to making those parts and you've got everything set up and they spend months trying to find a new supplier and go through the testing phase and, you know... (laughs) 
bingo. <laughs> and then eventually you see them three years later and you're like, how come you're not buying these parts from us? And they're like, oh, I wish you would have asked me about that two and a half years ago when I was pulling my hair out in order to find somebody else to make it. Like, what if suddenly the supplier, a machine shop owner dies, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a small shop. I told you what's going to happen when you die. We're going to stuff you and put you on display in in the front. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love that. (laughs) Should we stuff you or bronze you? Bronze. Bronze bronze is better. You look better that way? I would look better that way. But anyway, before we get into that, I just want to define what intellectual property is. And then I just want to chat a little bit about before we get into this conversational show. So what is intellectual property? I just happen to have the Google definition. I got it. it. Okay. It's an asset, a property that has some intellect behind it from years of wisdom that's produced that asset. It's Yes, that's the truncated version of it, but I'll read to you. I like using words to define the same words to define what the word is. <laughs> is that what Jim Carr does? Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. often. <laughs> uh, intellectual property refers to creations of the mind, such as inventions, literary and artistic works, designs, and symbols, names and images used in commerce. IP is protected by law, for example, patents, copyrights, and trademarks, which enable people to earn recognition or financial benefit from what they invent or create by striking the right balance between the interests of inventors and the wider public interest. The IP system aims to foster an environment in which creativity and innovation can flourish. That's interesting because I'm a part of a coaching, a business coaching program, leadership development program. And one of the things that my coach went through was how to increase the value of your company out of the eight points. One of them had to do with codifying intellectual property and branding some of that intellectual property if you can too. So it's kind of interesting that you're talking about this now as well. Interesting. And I know that's not necessarily the direction that you're going to go into. No. Um, that it's more of a, you know, individual personal thing. Well, but. I need it, wanted to relate back to our industry and this particular problem that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But this is the part of the show where we talk about ourselves a little well, bit. I think we talk about ourselves most of the time. Yeah. So you know? we'll get to you in just a second. But I want to tee up this particular segment. So in my weekly productions meetings with my teams, I need to tell them what's keeping me awake at night. And yeah. I have a, an animated picture that I put on the monitor during our production meetings. Well, and, and just you're animated. You look a little frazzled. So I know. Yeah. Are you staying up late at night? I'm actually sleeping pretty good. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But yes, there are still things that are bothering me. And I think it's important is for, you know, our culture is a, sh- is a car machine is one that we share issues with. Because mm-hmm. I don't want everyone to think that the owner is just, you know, going in and life's great, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we do at Zengers is I ask my team, you know, what's keeping you up at night? Yes. You know, and it's important for them to know what's keeping me up at night too, but I'm, you know, want to kind of solicit that, like, you know, what's going on with you. All right. So here are the five things that are keeping me awake at night. Navigating our production schedule. Of course, everyone in manufacturing is busy right now and we're not exclusive. It's important to me to lead a growing company with integrity. That's really important to me. And I, you know, think about that at night when I wake up. Am I doing the right thing? Am I leading with integrity? Do I care about everybody in the shop? I'm implementing robotic automation. You know, I've been sharing that with you and the Metalworking Nation that this is the direction that we must go into. Mm -hmm. 
2022 forecasting. You know, Jim's got a recession obsession, like Nick had said. And I'm always thinking about the future and forecasting what industries, what emerging technologies are we going to be dealing with to keep us flourishing. And then the last is getting our old property sold right here down the street because it still hasn't sold and it's been almost a year. So well, when I look at those this, are the things yeah. that keep me awake. At when night. I look at this list, two of them there very starkly, I would think would be something Ryan would be concerned about, not you, you know, navigating your production schedule and implementing robotic automation. Well, but I know he's busy. The team culture is that we help each other. Out. Of course. But so, I mean, like as far as keeping you up at night, don't let those two keep you up at night. Right. Because I mean, that, you know, you got your team to take care of those. Right, but I'm part of the team, of course. so yeah, I need I to. I need to. You can only do so many things. I can only do so many things. Yes. What's keeping you awake at night? You know what's not keeping me up awake what, at night is that? that I've reduced the amount of my coffee intake. You said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about that, and going back to the whole extra thing, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm. Well, I'm. You're always experimenting with something, I, though. I do. I like you to do. Experiment. Yeah, I yeah. I'm trying to be calmer by drinking less coffee, and mm-hmm. she was like, "It's not working." <laughs> And that's what she Amanda. Told me. And the, I think you're right. And that's what she told me again that I was extra. So, um, no. But as far as like at work, what's keeping me up at night? Yeah, yeah. Definitely the 2022 budget and forecasting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm rewriting our vision and our mission and really what I want from the team. And I know we, you know, we talk about EOS a lot on making chips, and EOS is a very like kind of stark version of like how to put that together. But I'm really trying to put some very deep descriptions on what I want out of the company, the vision that I see for the future, the mission that I believe that we go on. So for example, I'm trying to be a little bit more descriptive with just how I articulate our vision for the future and our mission for the company. And I really want it to be something that the entire team can really just spout off at any given notice and that everybody really has these things codified into who they are and I want you to make want your it. team to like know what the mission and yeah I want is. it to be like okay so when somebody on my team is at having Christmas dinner with 30 other relatives and they haven't seen somebody in years and they you know Uncle Joe is like hey Sally what are you doing now for a living that you know she can s- just really articulate that right away and in a way that is very descriptive to that person and something that she could be proud of. Hmm. And I want to make sure that, you know... That's lofty. It is lofty, but I think it's possible. And one of the things that that I've really been talking about and I'm trying to codify this into like our mission is that I keep saying to myself, we serve people who make, build, and create great things for the world. Like, that's our big thing. And like, you would be one of those people that make great things for the world, and we're here to serve you. Right. You know what I mean? We're here to make your operations better. We're here to do whatever we can to consult you and your operations. We're here to specify tooling that's going to drive your efficiency. So you want everyone in your company to have that mentality and be able to recite it Yeah, like a mantra. Like a mantra. Yeah. So it's kind of like an elevator pitch for themselves. Yeah. In yeah. their job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, interesting. And then the vision for the company is going to be a little bit longer, and the vision is going to really articulate in great descriptions what I want the company to look, feel, smell like in the future. Mm-hmm. I thought mission vision was kind of like 
an archaic thing now. Well, the people don't really use mission vision you anymore. Know, so, Jim, you can't get away from mission vision. You really can't. Well, and people try to give it different names, right? A mantra, and, 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 you know, but but, uh, but you know what? It all comes back to the same thing. And I think what you don't want to do is you don't want to spout off like the Dunder Mifflin mission statement. You want it to really have meaning to it, and you want it to really articulate who you are and what you do. So. I might be talking about that. One of the things that I thought about for a future episode was what to do during the six weeks of laziness, which I, I call that period of time from like Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. And not that we're being lazy, but it's just people kind of take a little bit of a step back in our industry. You know, we, we're not in retail and a lot of our clients close, close, you know, yeah. so what do you do during that period of time? And I think one of the things that you can do is you can really take a step back and say, what are we doing here? What does it look like in the future? What's our purpose? What's our, you know, like, so, so when you think, say things like purpose and mission and vision, you need to differentiate between them. But no, mission and vision are never going away. Okay. No, I agree. The marketers of today, I've heard say, you don't put the mission statement on your website, you know. The American way is to go against the norm. And so, like, a lot of times when well, things... Well, it's just being different. Being di- well, that's the same. We're saying the same thing. So, yeah. like, when something becomes normalized, we want to do the opposite. Yeah, I, you know I, what I mean? certainly am one of those so, people like when, that want to you do know, something the, completely different from Br- everybody else. The Brits drink tea. Well, we want to drink coffee. Okay. You know what I mean? So, yes. it, it just kind of goes back to that American mentality of, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think those things ever went away. I mean, I would argue that God had a mission. Right. And God had a vision. So, like... Mission and vision, those are things that are never going to go away. And you can call them whatever you want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. But yeah, that's what's on my mind right now. And then, of course, hiring and stuff like that. Yeah, it's tough right now. Well, don't have any coffee. No, I'm just cutting back. Especially late at night. And don't drink too much. And you'll sleep fine. Yeah, exactly. And don't pick up your phone in the middle of the night. My phone's not even on the same floor as me. Wow. You're a good man, Jason Zinger. Yeah, it's far away. Is yours still under your pillow? No. But it's right next to me. And I do pick it up. But, you know, I use it now, like I told you before, to do like Headspace or Calm or just calming music. Well, I like music, right? So that does it. Music creates an emotion with me. And if it's a soothing sound, it makes me tired. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you think you're like holding hands with your wife, but you're actually holding your phone? No, never, ever. (laughs) Never happened, ever. Because if I want to hold my wife's hand, I just reach over and hold her hand, right? Hey, Jason, does money grow on trees? Money doesn't grow on trees, but jobs grow on trees. Those juicy jobs on the Zometry job board. So what is the Zometry job board? Well, Jim, you hate quoting, don't you? I keep telling you you got to delegate that. I do. But Zometry has an alternate to that. So if I'm not feeling right about quoting, I can go to the Zometry job board. All the prices are right there. So it's pre-quoted? I can pick and choose whatever I want. It's pre-quoted for me. It's giving me target pricing to what I can do on my shop. All I have to do is say yes or no. Can I make those parts for that cost? And that's the it's juicy simple. job. That's the juicy that's job. That's how you get the juicy job off the job tree. Yeah, there's nothing fancy about it. And the thing is, too, if I take that job, I can get paid in 30 days. So go to zometry.com slash making chips and check it out. Bam. Moving on, I have some kind of timely and relevant manufacturing news. And it's a report from the SME on a report outlines difficulty in boosting automation and manufacturing. Right? Makes sense. Isn't that funny? And look at look at the date. Yesterday. Crazy, huh? So this is an article by Bill Koenig. He's the senior editor. 
And Bill, great article. It's something that I'm going through right now at Car Machine. And he's saying manufacturers are looking to boost the use of automation because we all need it. We all understand why it's important. It lights out continuity, efficiency. It's awesome. However, they're saying it's not as easy or nor profitable due to the complex nature of tasks, the need to transfer knowledge that is difficult to express or extract, and the current insufficient capabilities of automation. So I really thought this was interesting because we're going down that path right now at CAR, trying to get our first robot on the shop floor. And I have to tell you, it isn't like buying a three-axis, a four-axis, or a five-axis machine tool. There's a lot of different entities that are involved in the process, and I'm seeing red flags already. However, I really, really hope that we can push through, mitigate some of them, and get them up and running. Because at the end of the day, we all know that utilizing these cobots, robots, automated technologies is certainly going to help our overall economy, our throughput, our efficiency, and quite simply just getting jobs out the door because the machines are running lights out, which is 24-7. And a robot doesn't have health care, doesn't have a 401k plan. Well, I mean, if we want to reach the plans of Industry 4.0, that requires us to really automate with robotics. Yep. How do you feel about these bullet points in this article? It says that these were among some of the findings in the report. Tough global competition means that almost eight in 10 manufacturers are cutting costs. Well, I think that cutting costs and looking to drive costs down are just part of what we do. I mean, that's the air we breathe when we're engaging with our VIP clients. How about this one? With dull, dirty, and dangerous work, production employees still say that 71% of the work is at least one of these three. So at least one of dull, dirty, or dangerous. 71%. I think it's becoming less and less. I don't know. I don't believe that. Not in my shop. I hope not. Well, I I wouldn't say in your shop, but maybe you're in the 29%. Yeah. So I guess the goal would be, how do we reduce that number as manufacturing leaders? That's I would think so. In the next five years, seven in 10 manufacturers expect to have deployed advanced manufacturing technology. Well, what is advanced manufacturing technology? Any kind of automation, robotic technology, anything. And then the last one, more than half of the production employees still believe more people will be needed in similar roles by 2030 and only one in five think fewer people will be needed. Close to nine in 10 decision makers expect artificial intelligence to be used in their production processes within the next 10 years. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, that that comes down to, you know, using AI to drive your production schedules or something like that. So this article attracted me because it's all about boosting automation and manufacturing. We were right in the thick of it right now. So it attracted me. I was a little shocked at some of these findings in their report, but I'll let you know. Sounds interesting. Yes. So let's get back to IP, intellectual property. I thought that was internet protocol. No, it's intellectual property. And I just want to go back and talk about how all of these skilled machinists are retiring faster than ever before. We, I'm including myself in that pool of people because I am a skilled machinist from the shop floor and with that has an abundance of fundamental machining knowledge. 
And for that matter, I have a lot of intellectual property of legacy parts that I've personally run in the shop floor. Well, but how often do those guys go to you in the shop to learn how to manufacture something? The only time I get hit up is if they hit the wall. If they but hit how the often wall, does that happen? Once a week. Oh, once it does week, happen once a week. Once okay. a week, I get a question on something. Yeah. Whether is it truly it, something that they needed you for? Or could they have figured it out with a little bit of extra time? I, or Yeah, they could have f- probably figured it out with extra time, but why? Well, let's cut through the fat right now. Well, because the, the reason that I'm asking is because you're not a huge shop. I mean, you have how many people? 11. 11 people. And there's only two of you from your generation. The rest of your guys are all young. I know, I so, know. And so they need us. Well, it kind of goes back to the point of like, well, these young guys can figure it out too. But it's going to take them too long. And that's kind of a problem. Yeah, especially right now. They don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. They've never been in that situation before. Right. Yes, they will figure it out, but it could take two, three, four, twenty hours to figure out. So, I mean, it's, it's not like silly things like Jim. We don't know how to no, run the uh, no, vertical it's fundam- or something. It's fundamental knowledge. Okay, it's fundamental okay. knowledge. But here's the other thing too, Jason, that I really wanted to get to today, along with these skilled machinists that are leaving. So. We've been lucky that we've been able to penetrate some new industries and of legacy OEM clients that have these old microfiche. You know what microfiche? Oh yeah, I remember. Is? Yeah, from the yeah. public library. Yeah, exactly. And all these prints are still stored on microfiche. I think they come out as a TIF, a .tif, and they date back to the fifties. There's red lines. There's revision. You know, oh, so your ten. clients send you a digital image of one of these microfiches? Yes. Okay. And quote, two, four, six, eight, ten, fifty pieces wow. of these parts. Yeah. So the quantity isn't the problem because the ERP software is, is going to help us do that. The problem is that microfiche print is that's been revved so many times. There's all kinds of dimensions on it. You can't even understand it. And the purchasing agent, the buyer, the procurement person at the OEM has absolutely no clue. They're just sending out PDFs. Yeah, and it's not their fault. I mean, they can't know what it is. Well, it's their company's fault because there's not skilled people in those positions to disseminate the work to the right shop. So what happens is we get all these quotes, we all these prints, it's not at all a good fit for mm-hmm. us. And then we have to go back. So let's say we finally, we get into the uh, shop, we penetrate the procurement, we're finally in, we sign the NDA, and we're ready to start quoting, mm-hmm. we're ready to start making them a new customer. They send us this crap that isn't even our core competencies. Mm-hmm. And then we say, no, we can't quote it. And then it goes back, and then the buyers, procurement people, don't, know what to do. don't want to deal with mm-hmm. us anymore because they're not educated enough to make sure that they're sending the right parts to the right shop. Mm-hmm. And then they get frustrated with us because we're no quoting everything. Right. And this is not so, a part you made before? This is not a part we made before. And the other thing, too, is the part that this legacy part that another shop has been making for 50 years has all this intellectual property, right? right? Oh, so I did nail this at the beginning, what you were thinking. That's exactly what it gets back to. And And you'd probably rather give that job to somebody, the person that knows how to do it. 
I would do it. However, maybe that shop went away. Maybe the owner died. Maybe the machinist left. Mm-hmm. Maybe they Who knows have what? a new process. Yeah. It, it could be a numerous amount of things. Maybe they don't want to wait. Mm-hmm. Maybe the OEM doesn't want to wait three, four months right. now. So they have to start outsourcing it to another new supplier. Got it. So they sent it to us and we're like, what? The print's like black. There's so much on it. <laughs> no, th- you. it's barely legible. Mm-hmm. So it's a real, real problem we're seeing nowadays. Gotcha. And I just thought I'd bring this up to create some kind of thought-provoking ideas from you, the Metalworking Nation, or anything else. Because it, like I said, it, this is a really big problem. So what do you do? It's only getting worse. So what do you do at this point if you have a great customer who insists that you make this part, even though you know quote it, and you're, you need to go out to their facility and physically see the part, have somebody... Turn that into a drawing? Yes. Having a sample part in our hands would certainly help. It would also help to have a step model, a CAD model that we can take and we can manipulate and turn that part around. It's like a 3D model. So they model, need to put the investment into producing that. They don't have it right, because obviously. It's, so, it's an antiquated part, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's a legacy part. They didn't have CAD systems back in the 1950s or 60s, right? right? They barely had them in the 70s. So I think that these OEMs, if they're continuing to outsource precision machine parts to their suppliers, they (laughs) they need to invest in people. What I think that they should do is, let's say a big OEM has five different buyers. I think that they should have one person in a role at the OEM that oversees them, that is knowledgeable uh, and can look at a print like I could in a matter of seconds and say, this is a fabricated part. This could should go to this shop. Mm-hmm. This is a turned part. This should go to this shop. This is a three, four, or five axis precision machine part, and that should go to that shop. Oh, they don't even have those kind of basics? No, they don't even have those kind of basics. And I think it would really help the throughput of the quoting process because there's so much back and You get forth. that much junk? I hate to call it junk. Well, I mean, stuff that's not good it's for you. It's just stuff that is completely not a fit for us at all. Mm-hmm. And believe me, if it's happening to us at Car Machine, it's happening to many of you that are listening to this show right now. So I implore you to reach out to me and let me know what you're doing or what you think. I think this is a conversation that needs to be continued going forward. And I'd be happy to talk to a big OEM and try to make this a little bit better. It sounds like something that would be good for a panel discussion. It sounds like it would be. So that's really all I have to share today. I know it's kind of a short subject, but I wanted to at least put this in people's heads and let, let's help each other yeah, out. Yeah, let us know if there's a solution for this. Yeah. Because at the end of the day... Well, if you can't read the print... If you can't read the print, you can't make chips. And if you're not making chips... You are not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.